Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. We all have plans for our lives, don't we? The things we want to get done today, the things we plan for this week, and then even more long term, the things we plan to get done over the next year, or five years, or ten years. We all have plans, and planning is a good thing. But in the passage we're about to look at today, James reminds us that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, there's a very specific way we should plan. It's an important reminder for those of us who are looking to follow God's will for our lives. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. As we get into uh, this, these verses that James has for us this morning, uh, I want you to think about something with me. Dan Gilbert is a psychologist at Harvard University. You may have heard of it. It's just down the road here. And Dan Gilbert wrote a number of books. One of the books that he wrote is called Stumbling on Happiness. And at the very beginning of that book, he starts with what he calls the sentence. And the sentence that he speaks about begins like this. And he asks the readers of the book, and sometimes when he speaks, he asks the audience to fill in the blank uh, for themselves. He starts and he begins with these words. He said, the human is the only animal that, dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? He asks the question, what defines our humanity is the way that he asks it. The human is the only animal that, and then he says, fill in the blank. Now, I might just, I would say that, you know, human is the only one created in God's image and set apart from all the rest of creation, has a soul and all those sorts of things. That's not Dan Gilbert's frame of reference as he comes to it, but he says something different that is quite interesting to me. He says, humans are the only animals that plan and think about the future. Humans are the only animals that plan and think about the future. So you may want to argue with, with uh, Dan Gilbert and his response there, and he has all sorts of reasons why he says that. And particularly, he says, uh, humans spend up to 12% of their time thinking about the future. That's one hour, about one hour for every eight hours that we live is spent thinking about uh, what's to come and what's going to happen. And he argues that more than any other species that would be found on the earth, we think about the future more than anyone else. And he actually goes as far to say that for him, that's what defines our humanity is the fact that we are forward thinking and forward planning. And so I want you to think for a moment, how much time do you think spe- or spend thinking about the future? How often are you thinking about what's coming up in the next five minutes or what's coming up in the next day or what's coming up in the next year or five years or 10 years? We're encouraged to have those sorts of plans, aren't we? Some of you, not many of you, but a few of you might actually be tempted over the next few minutes as I'm talking to start thinking about what's coming next. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do the rest of today? And once we start reflecting, I think we'll find we actually spend a decent amount of time, don't we? thinking about what's to come and looking through our calendars and planning everything out. I thought I was a planner. I don't know if you describe yourself as a planner. I I thought I was a planner. I would have always said that I was a planner um, until I got married. And then I realized that my, my wife is an unbelievable planner. And we would, especially early on in our marriage, we would have conversations and she would say to me something like, so what's your plan today? And I'll say, well, I'm going to 
go to work, and then I'm going to be at work, and then I'm going to come home, and then I'm going to do things at home, and then I'll, eventually I'll go to bed. And she would say something to me like, okay, but what is your plan for the day? And in my mind, I said, well, that, that is the plan. That is the plan. But for her, it, it needs to be more detailed. We have to find a balance in that. For you, are you a, are you a planner? Or where, where do you fall on that spectrum? We all think about the future, right? But where do you fall on, on the spectrum? Do you need every single minute planned out? Or do you make more broad plans? Either way, either way, God has something to say to you this morning about how we go about making plans. We're going to read these verses in James, and there's just four verses. It's a fairly short passage. And I think the temptation is to hear these verses and say to ourselves, uh, James says he's against planning. Basically, James is telling us to delete the calendar app off of our devices. But that's not what James is saying here at all. And so James is going to talk to us not necessarily about whether we should plan or not, because to plan is wise. Jesus says something along those lines. He says if someone's going to build a barn, he should count the cost, that that would be the wise thing to do. And so planning is wise, but James is going to tell us how we should go about planning. How should you go about filling out that calendar? How should you go about writing your five-year plan for your career? How should you go about planning for the days of retirement? James is going to talk to us this morning about that. And here's what he says. You take a look at the text. I'm going to read through uh, these verses. We're in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, and then we'll come back and look at them in a little bit more detail. Come now, James says, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin." James is talking about a very specific group of people here. He's talking about the people who, the merchants, perhaps, the business people who are planning their way they are going to make money. Hey, tomorrow or the next day, we'll go to this and this such place, and we will, and we will uh, make money here. We'll trade there, we'll sell there, and we'll make money. I think on a broader scale, what James is going to say to these specific people can apply to all of us, whether we're talking about making plans to go and make money, or whether we're talking about plans for our family, or we're talking about how we're going to schedule out the activities of our day. The thing that James tells them matters, I think, to all of us. And this is what James says. He says, you, in your planning, are being very presumptuous. You're being quite presumptuous in the way that you plan. And James tells them that they're being presumptuous for two reasons. He said, you're making these plans, but you're forgetting something as you make your plans. And what you're forgetting is two things. First, you're forgetting that you have very limited knowledge. So you're making these plans for tomorrow or the next day or the next year, and you have very limited knowledge. In fact, he says it there in verse 14. He says to the people, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
You're making all these plans, but you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And James reminds us that the reality is even though we plan like we know how life is going to turn out, certainly I do this and you do it as well, we plan like we know how tomorrow is going to go. James reminds us you actually don't know what tomorrow might bring. In the next couple of months, this is going to happen. We're going to turn on the television or open up our app, and the meteorologists are going to say to us, tomorrow, there is going to be so much snow, you won't be able to work, you won't be able to go to school, everyone should panic and go to the grocery store right now, buy all the milk and eggs and bread you can get a hold of, and head home and just batten down the hatches and stay there for a while. And we're all going to believe them. And we're going to make plans to work from home. We're going to cancel school the night before. And we will all get up and we'll look out the window. And what will we see? We will see a lot of rain, right? That's going to happen at some point. And with all the technology that we have, we still don't even know necessarily what the weather is going to be tomorrow. Now, we've gotten much better at guessing as to what the weather is going to be. But the truth is, there are times that we're still wrong about something as simple as the weather, aren't we? And so the bigger things of life, we don't know those either. Think about the earthquake that happened in Anchorage, Alaska, just a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if you followed the story. It's been pretty incredible how prepared they were for the earthquake and also how quickly they've been able to rebuild Everyone was ready in Anchorage for an earthquake to happen. There's a lot of uh, seismic activity in that area. But the truth is, no one knew when it was going to happen. No one knew the day that it was going to occur. And the same thing with the wildfires in California, right? So the stories this week of people going back to their lots and having nothing left. My guess is the plans that were being made three weeks ago look very different today. It's a very sad thing, to be sure, but reminds us that we're actually not sure what tomorrow might bring. We've all had the experience of getting a phone call that in a moment changes everything we were planning to do. And James reminds us, you you can go about making your calendar all you want, but you're actually being quite presumptuous because your knowledge is very limited. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. But he also says it's not just our knowledge that's limited. He says that our time is very limited. He says we're like a mist that appears for a while and then goes away. That's our lives, James says. It's not a very flattering picture of our lives, but it reminds me of how I get up right now in the morning and I'll look in my backyard and all the grass and the grill that's on my deck that I already should have put away in the shed uh, will be covered with frost. And I'll go about getting ready for the morning. And by the time that I get ready to leave uh, for work, see, I do come here in the middle of the week. By the time I get ready for work, you know, a lot of that frost is, is gone. And surely by the time lunch rolls around, all that frost is gone. James says that's kind of like how your life is in the spectrum of eternity. You're here for a while. And, and then it's, it's gone. And it might be beautiful while it's here. It might, doesn't mean it's, it's not uh, a great Uh, life while you're here, but it's very temporary, James reminds us. It reminded me, James' comment reminded me of a few years ago when we walked through the book of Ecclesiastes together, and when we were in that Old Testament book, the writer said something to us. He said, time is not a commodity, but it is a currency. 
So time is not a commodity. It can't be bought or sold. And those are my words, paraphrasing what the author of Ecclesiastes says. But time can't be bought or sold. It can't be traded. I can't give you some of my time or buy some of your time. But it is a currency. We're spending it every moment. You're spending your time now. Time that you'll never get back. It's being paid for right now. Now, here's the tricky thing about time being a currency. Right now, we could go to our bank, and we could go to the ATM, and we could do a balance inquiry. And we could say, how much money do I have left to spend? We might either be happy or sad about the answer there, but we could at least find out how much is there that we have to spend. There's no balance check for time. We don't know how much of this currency we have. In fact, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, says it this way. He says, uh, if we really wanted to be wise about our age, we would count our age based not on our birthday, but on our death day. Because if you're 40, but you're going to live till you're 98, you're actually very young. And if you're 17, but you're only going to live until you're 24, you're actually very old. The problem is we just don't know, do we, right? We know when we were born. We know that day, so we can count from that day. We have no idea when our time is going to be up. And James says, to go about your planning like these things don't exist is quite presumptuous on our part. To ignore the fact that we have limited knowledge as to what tomorrow brings and to ignore the fact that we're not even promised tomorrow. James says, to go about planning and make all of your plans without thinking those things through is quite presumptuous. So then the question becomes, how should we plan? How should we plan? And James tells us exactly the posture that we should have when we plan. James says, don't be presumptuous while you plan. Instead, have the right posture. And he says the right posture for us right there in verse 15, when he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Some of us might have grown up in churches where people use this phrase quite a bit, where people would say to one another, if, I'll see you on Tuesday, Lord willing. If you're someone that grew up in church, uh, specifically maybe the Pentecostal church or the Protestant church, you might have heard that phrase quite a bit. Uh, I'll see you on Tuesday, Lord willing. Or if you really are part of the old Pentecostal church, you heard this one. Should the Lord tarry, we will meet next week. See, some of you know that one. Should the Lord tarry. And the, the thing is, that's actually exactly what James is telling us to do. Now, the problem with any sort of phrase we start using like that in the life of being a Christian is sometimes it just becomes cliche, doesn't it? It loses its meaning, and we always have to bring that meaning back, kind of like with the Lord's Prayer. We have to remind ourselves the meaning of these things that we say over and over and over again. But the act of actually saying those things is exactly what James is calling us to do. He's saying when you go about making your plans, don't be presumptuous, but submit all of your plans to God. James says, rather than relying on yourself with your limited knowledge and limited time, why don't you rely on the God who has unlimited knowledge and unlimited time? The God who knows all and who exists for eternity. Why would you not consult him 
as you plan out your life. James says, when we do not do this, he says it right in the next verse, do you know what it is to make plans and not talk to God and not ask him what he thinks we should do? He uses the word in the next verse, and it's right there in verse 16. It begins with the letter A. What does he say? That is, it's arrogant, right? To have access to the all-knowing and all-powerful and unlimited God and yet only rely on ourselves to plan out our days and our years, James calls that just arrogant. Presumptuous nature shows up in in arrogance. And James doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like, but here's what I think it might look like in our lives. Our arrogance and our planning shows through when our plans change and we get upset. Not sad upset, not that we wished we would have done something. I mean angry about our plans changing. Have you ever been sitting uh, at the gate at the airport and you see the very important business people and they all have their phones out because if they put their phones away, the economy would collapse? And, and so everyone's waiting and then the gate agent comes on the, comes on the microphone there and says, I'm very sorry to let you know uh, we have a mechanical problem with the airplane and we're going to be delayed at least an hour. Well, someone just can't take it. And so that person gets up and puts their phone in their pocket and walks up to the gate agent and lets that gate agent know exactly how they feel about this. They're an important person that has an important meeting. They were planning to make money. They were planning to get business done, just like James is talking about. And here, this gate agent ends up bearing the brunt of all of this arrogance and anger that this person has. Now, uh, the, the reality is the gate agent has nothing to do with the fact that the engine light came on and that it needs to be looked at by a certified mechanic. That has to do with company protocols and with the FAA and, and how uh, the condition of the plane that day. And James says, you see, when someone gets angry like that and lashes out at someone else because their plans got changed, that is arrogance, James would tell us. That's someone that thinks they control the world. That's someone that thinks that they have unlimited knowledge and unlimited time and what they're doing is more important than anything else. Now, here's the convicting part of this. I've done this. Have you? I've certainly been in a situation where the nice person at the host stand at the restaurant tells me it's going to be about 15 minutes and I'm looking at my watch and it's been 35 and, uh, and we have a movie to get to. We have something else that we want to do. And I've made the mistake in my life of becoming angry at that person. And James says, you know what that is in you? That's arrogance. Have you been there? Will you take out that changed plan on other people? James says, that's your presumption. You are thinking that you're in control of the world and you're not. The other way that it shows through, it doesn't just throw through in our change. It shows through when we're willing to compromise our character in order to keep our plans, I think James would tell us. 
So we want to get business deal done, or we want to get something done, or we want to have something happen, and so we'll do something we wouldn't normally do in order to make that plan take place. We'll drive faster than we know that we should be driving. We'll endanger ourselves and other people on the road. We'll follow through that with a light just turned red, and we're close enough to the car in front of us that we can follow through that intersection and maybe uh, not get caught. We'll pull that move just so our plans stay on time. We'll do things that we wouldn't normally do so that our plans don't have to change. Last year, the New York Times ran a story about the University of Kentucky uh, where two students were preparing for their statistics final. And they were worried that they were not going to do well on the final. And if they didn't do well on the final, it would greatly affect their plans to graduate when they wanted to graduate. So they came up with a plan whereas one of them would crawl through the air ducts in the building and drop into their professor's office and would unlock the door uh, for the other student who would come in, and together they would find the answers to the final exam. Uh, Well, what happened was is they didn't realize that that professor would be working late that evening. And so they got to the office, and the professor had stepped out to get something to eat, uh, had left his door unlocked, which would have been great knowledge uh, for them to have before they started climbing through air ducts, One student climbed through the air duct, got into the office, uh, opened up the door for the other student. He came in. The professor, Dr. Kane, came back to his office and turned the handle, and the door was locked. And he had not locked the door, and he knew that. And he heard some rustling in the office. And he knocked on the door, and he said, I don't know who's in there, but you have two seconds, and I'm calling the police. And the door flung open, and these two students in his statistics class came running out, and all their plans to graduate uh, did not come to fruition Uh, that year because of the actions that they took. And James would say, whenever you compromise your character in order to fulfill some arbitrary plan that you've made, it's arrogance. The other way that this shows in our life is not just how we act when uh, plans change or if we compromise our character, but the, the other way I think this shows up in our lives is when we delay doing the things we know we should do. So we know that God is telling us to do something. We know that God is telling us to change something. Could be as simple as to start praying or reading his word on a regular basis. It could be as big as as changing our vocation or going into missions or whatever God might call us to do. It could be something where you know that God is calling you to serve and follow him and you've never fully done it. Because you have things you want to do first. John Mellencamp last year in an interview said this. He said, he said I, many, most of my friends tell me they want a quick death. He said, I need my death to be slow. I need a lot of time on the hospital bed to fix everything that I've done wrong. And in that quote, what he's saying is, I'm going to delay. I'm going to assume that I have this time to right all the wrongs that I've done in my life. And so I will delay doing those until I feel like the time is right. And James would look at us and he would say, that's arrogance. If God is asking you to do something, if you feel like you should do something, do it now, James would say, because you are arrogantly assuming that you know how much time you have left and how it's all going to happen. In fact, James closes these verses with this verse in verse 17. He says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
And James is saying the right thing for you to do is stop presuming you own the world and control it and rather submit yourself to the will of God. And as you make your plans, James would say to us, uh, you should pray and say to God, God, what is it that you would have me do? How do you want me to spend my day? Where would you have me put my time? And James would say, make your plans But if God calls you to do something else, hold your plans loosely and do what God is calling you to do. And James uses this verse here, and it's a proverb that has greater application than just scheduling your time. But he's saying if you know you're supposed to do something good and you don't do it, that's sin. And James is applying that to planning here. And he's saying, you know how you should be planning You know that you shouldn't rely on yourself, that you should rely on God, that you should submit your plans to his will. And for those of us, when we don't do this, it's sin. The reality is none of us can do this perfectly all the time. That's why we need a savior. And so... We had a plan that we would follow God with our lives. None of us can do that perfectly. God had a plan where he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin that we might be reconciled to him. And James would say to us, submit yourself to that plan of following Jesus Christ with your life, trusting in him for salvation, and then your plans will be subject to God. Whenever anyone uh, plans something and they know that outside factors might, uh, might change the time or the venue. You'll see this. You've seen this on a ticket you've purchased. You've seen this on a flyer that's on the wall. You've seen this on an event that's posted on Facebook or on Eventbrite. They'll say, uh, starts at seven o'clock. And then underneath, there's this little asterisk and it says, times and place subject to change, right? And you've seen that before. What James is saying to you and to me this morning is that every time we plan, every time we write something down, there should be a little asterisk underneath it. And it should say something like, uh, plans subject to God. This is the plan that I feel like God would have for me today, but if God chooses to change it, if God wants me to do something different, then I, I will change it and do what God wants me to do. And I won't delay, but I'll do it right now. St. Augustine said this. He said, love God and do what you will. The idea being that if you love God and put him first in your life, then what you end up doing in your life will be exactly what he wants you to do. I think for most of us as Christians, we do what we will while we say we love God. So Augustine says to us, uh, love God and do what you will. We practically live out Uh, doing what we want, and then asking God to bless it and make it work. And I wonder how many of us have made major life decisions where we're going to live, what we're going to do, whom we're going to date, whom we're going to marry. And we make those decisions, and then we come to God and we say, God, will you bless this? Will you make it work? God, I'm going to start a business. I need you to make it work. But we very rarely go before God and say, God, do you want me to start the business? God, is this the person that you have for me to date? Is this the person that you have for me to marry? Is this how you want me to spend my time? Is this the career you're calling me to? 
See, all of our plans should be subject to God. Anything else is living in arrogance, James says. So let me ask you this. Right now today, where are your plans stopping you from doing what God wants you to do? Where are your plans hindering God's work in your life? And would you today take those and submit them to him? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close. And as they do, I'd like for you just for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes and to think with me about this. When is the last time that you went to God and said, God, you are in control of the way I spend my days. You are in control of the way I spend my time. God, what do you want me to do? When's the last time you listened to God's voice and said, God, what is it that you have for my life? How is it that you want me to spend my time? Maybe you just need to come before the Lord this morning and and ask for forgiveness because James pointed out where we sin when it comes to our planning. And you need to come before the Lord this morning and just and, and say to him, you know, God, I'm sorry because I make my plans and I stick to them. And I know that sometimes you call me to do things, but I delay doing those things because I have my plans. And when my plans change, I get angry and I know that's not what you have for me. And maybe you just need to come before the Lord this morning, repent of those things and receive the grace and forgiveness that is yours in Christ Jesus. This is an important thing for us to think about. How do we plan our days? How do we plan our months? How do we plan our years? Maybe as you're here this morning, there's something that is happening in your life, something that is coming up that's either uh, changing the way you plan. Maybe uh, you've gotten that diagnosis in your family or from somewhere, and it's, it's just shifting everything you thought was going to happen. And, or maybe you're having to move, or maybe jobs are changing, or maybe there's just a certain unrest with you while you're trying to plan for things. Our elders, Bill and Karen Sullivan, are going to be in the back. And maybe as we uh, pray, as we sing this closing song, you'd want someone to pray with you. Bill and Karen will be in the back. You could go and pray with them. Pray together that God would lead you and guide you, that your plans would be subject to him. So God, we pray that you'll help us to do what you're calling us to do today. Not just to make plans and forget that we don't know what tomorrow brings and that our time is limited, but to fully trust and submit ourselves to you. That our lives might be used for something much greater than anything that we could plan. But for your honor and for your glory, pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go 
to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.